Continuing our way through the book of Matthew. And today we're just going to get halfway through chapter 15. Last week uh, we looked at all of chapter 14 and uh, we saw the passing of John the Baptist as he uh, gave his life standing for righteousness. And we talked about the importance of that. That You can kind of look at the story of John the Baptist and go, Man, that seems like a ripoff. That's so unfair. That here's a guy that has been solid for the Lord and, and just, you know, preaching truth. And he ends up losing his life at the whim of some bitter, angry woman. Uh, but that's the worldly perspective, right? From a heavenly perspective, John the Baptist never backed down on what was right. He took that stand. He continued to take it. He never uh, denied the, the power of God and, and and continue to stand for righteousness. But in hearing that, we see Jesus separate himself to a quiet place, um, and, and instead of getting some time alone, this huge crowd follows him. And, and Jesus looks on them with compassion, and after spending the whole day ministering to them, he tells the disciples, hey, give them something to eat, right? And, and he asked the disciples to do something impossible. And so actually, we looked at that case, and also later when Peter steps out of the water, that these are great examples of taking those steps of faith. One is when it's completely led by the Lord, when he puts, us, puts it on our heart to do something that we certainly cannot do on our own, feed the multitudes, whatever it might be. Um, but then there are other times, like Peter, where it, it's our crazy idea. <laughs> Peter was in the boat and went, hey, bid me to come out to you. The Lord had not asked him to do that, and he, the Lord was like, okay, <laughs> right? But what he did right in that is that he didn't just act on his crazy idea. He didn't just jump out of the boat. He asked the Lord, and then he waited for an answer, right? And so good ways for us to uh, sort through our crazy ideas, my crazy ideas. Um, but now we come to chapter 15, where Jesus uh, continues to deal with the religious leaders uh, and their rules, their traditions, how they viewed the law a lot of misunderstandings that they had, and really just their bad attitude of wanting to find something to find fault with when it comes to Jesus. But what we're going to see here in this first half of chapter 15 is that there is a lot about our heart and our words and, and how those fit together and the importance of what we say and to other people and even the things that we say to ourselves, right? So let's pray and we'll get into chapter 15. God, we thank you that you desire to continue your work in us. Lord, you didn't just save us and then leave us here as orphans. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. And, and Lord, we pray that you would change us. Holy Spirit, that you would apply your word to our lives, that it would find the good soil and that it would bear fruit. And we commit ourselves to you, commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So starting in verse 1, chapter 15, it says, Then the scribes and Pharisees, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the, tra the traditions of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he, said, or he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your traditions. For God commanded saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, 
Whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God. And then he need not honor his father or mother, and thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah speak, or did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, and uh, as we look through the, the Gospels, there's, there's three main groups we hear a lot about, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and a lot of times we see these guys together or in close proximity to each other. And you could get the idea that these, uh, and they were all different types of religious leaders. They kind of had their own you know, group that they were in charge of or speciality that they uh, were in, into. And we could get the idea that these guys got along, that these were all on the same side against Jesus. But the fact is, is that these guys hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. And it was this constant power struggle between these three groups of who had the most popularity and who had the most power and who had the most influence with Rome and all these other things. Um, And they hated each other. They were constantly trying to out the other groups. And even within those groups, there were factions that were doing the same thing. So these were very disorganized people, uh, very vicious in a lot of the things that they did, not only toward Jesus, but toward others. But Jesus has become a common enemy that they can rally around. That he's brought unity to these people uh, that hate each other because he stands to remove all of their power. And that's what it really comes down to. Is that these guys uh, had the influence, they were impressed, or they impressed others by their religious robes and and their intelligence. And and Jesus comes on the scene and is basically saying, it's not about any of that. All that these guys are telling you, right? Remember on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, well, those were things said by the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But I tell you the truth. In other words, don't listen to those guys. (laughs) This is what's important. And so he was messing with the whole structure of their power and, and and so they have rallied together and now are, are coming against Jesus. Now this group, we've got the scribes and the Pharisees. And they've come from Jerusalem. And that's significant that Matthew mentions that because uh, Jerusalem's about 100 miles away from where Jesus is at now. He's at the Sea of Galilee where he's been doing, been doing a lot of ministry. So it's a huge effort for them to go, come from Jerusalem to where Jesus is at. And they're there specifically for Jesus, right? To investigate, to find fault with. To, and of course, because that's their reason for being there, they're going to find fault no matter what. And, uh, and so what they point to is that the disciples do not wash their hands when they eat bread. I mean, <laughs> to me, that's funny. It's like here, they're, oh, we're going to bring an end to this Jesus guy, right? We're going to put him in his place. And, and after their little investigation, we don't know how long they were there, that's the best they can come up with. We noticed your boys didn't wash their hands before mealtime. And, and what they're pointing to isn't even a law. It's a tradition. And they do say that, the tradition of the elders, right? Um, but I think it's also important we understand what that tradition was speaking about. It had nothing to do with washing the germs or the dirt off of your hands before you ate. It had nothing to do with hygiene. 
It was a tradition that they had come up with that was symbolic. And all they would do is have a bowl of water or even a plate that had just a little bit of water in it. And they would just dip their fingertips in it. And it was, it was this symbolic gesture of that they were spiritually clean. That they were kind of announcing how clean they were, right? And, and it was also kind of a, a thankfulness for food or whatever. And there was kind of that side to it. But most of it was just, it was this, that they were spiritually clean is what they were symbolizing there. And, and again, this isn't anything in Scripture. This is a tradition that they had come up with on their own. It also tells us, and we see other places where the traditions that they had come up with, the rules that they had put upon God's law to clarify or whatever it might have been, were held at an equal level and in some cases even above the scriptures themselves. And so for what, what they're saying is, is that because your disciples are not keeping the traditions of the elders, they're in sin. That's, that's how serious it is, right? This isn't a small thing. It sounds small to us, but to them, that they're saying by not keeping the traditions, it's sin. And I, again, I love the way Jesus deals with this because my tendency would always be to explain everything. You know, oh, okay, let's get into what that means. Well, first of all, this isn't in Scripture. This is your tradition, and, and what you're talking about is, is just, you know, I would get into all of that. And then you get into arguments about the details and never get around to the issue, right? Jesus doesn't do that at all. In fact, uh, he, doesn't, he just kind of avoids everything that they've said, and he asks them a question. And, and I think it's also important we, that we understand that Jesus isn't just deflecting. He isn't, like, ignoring their question completely. It, it's a cultural thing, and the idea of what Jesus is doing is saying, if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. It's an exchange, right? He's not, you know, just avoiding the topic. He's going, okay, I heard you, and now we're going to agree to this exchange. So you answer mine, I'll answer your question. The difference is, is their question has to do with the traditions of men. Jesus' question has to do with the Word of God and with the law that God has laid out. And he makes that difference very, very clear. Why do you also transgress the commandments of God because of your traditions, he says in verse 3. Um, I think one of the things, as I, as I studied through this, you know, I, I tend to look at the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, or whoever it happens to be talking about, and it's really easy just to make them the, the absolute bad guy. And you're just like, oh, how dare they shame on those guys? You know, how could they miss out on all that Jesus was saying and offering and teaching? But if I'm honest, there are those things that we all have that are our traditions that we have elevated too high, Right? And you just think about it, any church is guilty of these things to a certain degree. And there's nothing wrong with traditions. Jesus isn't saying all traditions are bad or all traditions are good or any of that. But whenever traditions come to a place where they are harmful to the people, or when they even come into a close second with Scripture, that's, that's a problem. And, it, and again, if we're honest, there are those things in our church life, in Christianity, music is a big one right? 
type of worship music we have, type of praise music we have. There are some churches that are like, no, it's choirs only. There's no instruments. Others are like, no, it's got to be an organ. Other people, oh, piano's okay, but that's it, no guitars. And, and there have been huge church splits over music. Not scripture, not truth, opinion. Same about the way we dress when we come to church. Should it be suit and tie? Should it be casual? Church splits over those things. We have a potluck once a month. We have it every day. I don't know if there's been a split over that, but people take the food pretty seriously. And so there's these things. Again, these are traditions. These are the traditions of man, the opinions of man, but we can start treating them like, boy, this is vital to our Christian walk. This is vital to our relationship with the Lord. And I like that Jesus doesn't really allow any of that. You know? Yeah, there are certain things that are important, but they've got to be tied to Scripture for us to know that they've got the weight and the value in our lives. Anything else is optional. Anything else can come or go. You can go to a church and that's all they do is choirs. Hey, if they love the Lord, then great. They love the Lord. Don't get hung up on it. And so we have to be careful about our own formulas, our own opinions, the things that we put in, our traditions, that are they being elevated to a place where suddenly it's at the expense of the people? If so, they've gotten too important. And Jesus points to this, that, that what they're holding up, they've elevated to the place of Scripture because it is contrary to Scripture itself. In fact, contrary to a command that God has given. And he points to Exodus chapter 20 and 21. In verse 4 of Matthew, he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. Now, the idea of honoring your father and mother, there's a lot to that. It's pretty deep, although it's just a brief little commandment there. There's a lot to it because it, first of all, means that growing up in your parents' home, you show them respect. They're taking care of you. They are teaching you, and you are to be teachable. You are to hear their instruction, and you're to hear their warning. That's all part of honoring, but it goes beyond that because it's also when your parents are elderly, that then you take care of them. You honor them, right? You're, you're making sure that they've got food, and that maybe they, whether that means they live with you or you provide a place for them to live, whatever it is, that that's your responsibility. They fed you, they clothed you, and now it's your turn. That's the idea of honoring your parents, right? And Jesus is showing how important this is. Well, in fact, actually, if you look at Exodus 20, it's uh, Exodus 20, verse 12. It's, it's the, one of the few commandments that comes with a promise. It says this, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Again, that's one of those, there's a lot to that. It doesn't just mean you're going to have a long life. It actually means, it doesn't mean that at all. It means you're going to have a full life. That, that it doesn't mean you're going to live to a ripe old age, but the life that you have will be a life worth living. That by honoring your father and mother, there's a blessing that goes with that. And it goes even further than that because it isn't just for you as an individual or for your close-knit family. It affects the entire nation. It changes the way the nation views its elderly. It sets a standard. And it is a 
command and a decree from God. And I remember hearing this years ago, and, uh, and it is absolutely true. If you want to know where any nation stands, including our own, look at the way they treat their elderly and look at the way they treat their babies and unborn. Let that sink in a little bit. It's chilling. God commands it because it's good for us individually and because it's good for a nation. Jesus is pointing to this, saying that this is the very scripture, the very command that they are making null and void by their tradition. He backs it up to show how important it is by quoting from uh, Exodus 21, that he who curses his mother or father are to be put to death. Heavy duty. I don't think any of us would have made it through our teenage years, right? And, and some people question, what does it mean to curse your, your mother and father? Actually, it's pretty, a pretty light term. It means to treat with contempt or dishonor. That's it. And so Jesus points to these. So he points to the scripture, and it's a command, and he points to the promise and the penalty in breaking it. And then he says, but you say. And to me, that's, that's the worst phrase that a person can, can hear, right? And, and we've all heard it, maybe even at times we've said it. I know what the Bible says, but I think nothing good follows that. I know what the Word of God says. I know what God has said about these things. But my opinion, what are we doing? We're elevating our opinion above the Word of God. Not equal to, above because I know what God says, but I want to do something else. So my, my opinion is more important. Right? Again, terribly, terribly dangerous. And, and Jesus very subtly is pointing that out. Here's what Scripture says, but you say something different. Verse 5, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God. Now, here's what Jesus is, is pointing at. Again, if we don't understand uh, the tradition that he's pointing to, we miss a lot of what's going on. Is that, again, the, the, the ex- expectation in the Jewish culture was when your parents got elderly, you would take care of them. And so the religious leaders had come up with this thing that, hey, if you dedicate all of your belongings to God and give a huge donation, one-time donation to our ministry, then therefore you don't have to support your parents long-term because it's all God's. And they had come up with this manufactured loophole and, and people were buying into it. But again, the whole thing was to make money for these groups. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would receive that one-time gift and then the person was like, hey, it's still my stuff, but I'm going to say it's all God's. And so they could neglect their duties, neglect the command of God, and yet do it under the guise of godliness and righteousness and dedication. That's why Jesus says, you hypocrites. (laughs) Serious. They took their greed and they tried to make it look like devotion. And he quotes from Isaiah, verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth 
They honor me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. Again, it's easy to come down on the religious leaders. And, and they are an amazing example of that truth. That's why Jesus quotes that scripture to them, going, Isaiah was talking about you guys. But at the same time, we need to be those people who are very carefully looking at our own lives and our own motives because this happens so much more subtly than we realize, right? The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't people that were super sold out for the Lord and, and super excited about the things of God. And then just one day they woke up and went, you know what? I think I'll be a hypocrite from now on, right? And it's actually a sad story because the Pharisees, man, when they started out, those guys were on fire. Now, this is about 200 years before Jesus, but their whole point was to bring the nation of Israel back to the scriptures, to the truth that's found in the word of God. And that's what they were all about. And so, I mean, they literally were like sending out evangelists and teachers to all of the different places in Israel to teach people the truth of the word of God. Amazing. But we see in just a couple hundred years where that's taken them to, that it's a subtle drifting the subtle giving over to our own flesh, right? Learning to, to make it look religious when it's just doing whatever it wants. And one of the things that I always kind of come back to, and, and I've had people even ask, it seems like we teach or like we talk about legalism a lot. You know, it comes up a lot in Scripture. That's why. It's not something that's just touched on here and there. And especially when we get into the letters from Paul, Almost every single one of his letters has a section about the dangers of legalism. Why? Because that's the next big challenge for us. And we've been saved out of the world. We've been saved from that sin nature. And we can confront the sin nature to a certain degree. It doesn't mean we're, we're still not tempted or it doesn't draw us. It certainly does. But once we've come to Christ, our greatest temptation is to fall into the trap of legalism. Again, it happens very subtly, where suddenly my opinion gets treated with the same authority as Scripture. When I'm in an argument, I'm telling somebody, you know why we do this? Let me tell you why that's important. And, I, and I'm speaking as though it were the Word of God, and it's not. It's just my opinion. But I don't want them to know that. <laughs> and so I'll misquote some Scripture, I'll take it out of context, I'll, I'll bend it just a little bit, I'll use an example that doesn't quite fit that'll just confuse them, and that's fine. But again, man, it's so important that we're those that we make sure that there's a huge delineation between my opinion or even how we like things done in this church and the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the final authority in all things. And, and I think it's good for us. You know, it's one of the things I do enjoy when we, we get a chance to travel and, and go into another church. And a lot of times we're visiting people we already know, so that it's kind of a similar f- flavor. But it is fun to go to a church where, man, you've never been before. Probably one of my favorite experiences is when I went to Haiti. And, and those people can do church, man. I'll tell you what. We went to one church in Haiti that was this pretty good-sized church there in central Haiti where we were doing ministry. And, and man, just the love of the Lord was so thick in that place, and praise and worship was so joyful, and, and they would kind of do this 
pogo dancing thing while, the, while during praise and worship, and it's just, you can't help but do it with them. It's just so much fun, right? Very different than us. If you guys want to do that, I'm into it. I think it's cool. I think we have enough trouble just kind of doing this thing during praise and worship. I'm raising my hand. Look at me. Oh, you know. And their praise and worship is just like, man, unashamed, just joyful and loved it. And, and you know, Bible study lasts a lot longer than me, just so you know. Lucky, right? The other church that we went out to, and it, again, it's kind of the same kind of feel to it, that same joyfulness and everything. This was a, what they call a bush church, and we were out in this uh, in kind of this deserty area, and it was one little covered area where the, the, the pastor and some of those people were able to be because they were teaching. The rest of us were in the sun, and for, for chairs, they had cut a, a, a tree trunk in half, and they put the rounded part up. If you're going to put a part up, I would put the flat part up. That seems more comfortable. But the round part was up, so you didn't want to sit a whole long time. So, it, but it was still, there's this great experience, right? It, it, they kind of interact with the pastor while he's teaching. And, and, and uh, I think it's so good for us to just like, see the love of Jesus Christ applied in a different way. And it reminds us, oh yeah, the, so much of the stuff that we do and that we hold to be so important is not what we're used to that's fine but we just got to keep it in the right place the right category again there's nothing wrong with traditions but they can never be elevated to the place where it's harmful to the people or it's seen equal or even a close second to the word of god and i believe that those things happen very subtly so it takes a constant kind of maintenance on our part to check and double check those things in our lives all right verse 10 It says, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of, his, of the mouth that defiles a man. And then his disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that saying? I know it makes me laugh too. But, but he said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a ditch. And then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you, still so, are you also still without understanding? Do you not under, yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. After dealing with the leaders, and I just picture these guys just speechless, right? These are the authorities from Jerusalem, man. And they've got probably the name tags and, you know, and they're there and letting everyone know that they're from Jerusalem. And they bring this accusation against Jesus and they think, oh, we got him. How is he going to deny the fact that the boys aren't eating properly? They're not keeping this tradition. Can't deny it. We've all seen it. 
And that Jesus just mows them down. I mean, <laughs> just leaves them speechless. And the fact that they don't have anything to say after that tells me that they were just like, <laughs> they had nothing. And I think this is, again, is important because when Jesus speaks, he's bringing in the crowd and he's telling them, this is what God thinks. That's one of my favorite things. Probably the favorite thing about the gospel is that when you read the gospels, you get to learn the character of God. What he likes, what he doesn't like. What he finds funny what he doesn't find funny, right? And, and you, you, we know this by watching Jesus, by looking how he does things, how he deals with things, what he says, what he focuses on. So he brings the people in to go, let me tell you the truth. Just like the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I'm telling you this. This is the truth. This is the thing that you should be concerned about. It's not what goes into the mouth. And this is, this is huge. Again, you think about all the Jewish laws concerning food and cleanliness, and all of the things that now we look at and we're, well, sure, that makes sense. But in that day, they didn't understand all of those laws. That God just told them, do this. And they went, okay. And so for Jesus' sake, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. Again, in their idea, it was that it was what defiled you. That if you ate something unkosher, it actually affected your soul. It affected your spirit. It made you spiritually unclean. And Jesus is correcting that going, no, it doesn't. Now, again, those laws are amazing. And I love looking at the Old Testament law because now we look at it and go, well, that makes sense. For example, there's a commandment that if a rat falls in a clay pot and dies, you have to break the clay pot. But if he falls in a brass pot, you can boil water in it and you can keep the pot. Now, again, we go, well, of course, right? You get all those germs. You get all those little nasty things that in the clay, it's too porous. You couldn't do anything about it. It's got to be destroyed, or you're taking a risk of all the disease. But a brass pot, you can boil it. It's clean. You're good to go. To them, this was a religious act. This was a spiritual thing of like, oh, you know, clay pot's got to go because the Lord said, and that's all they knew. So many things like that, that God was just, he didn't explain it. He just said, do this. And he did it for their health. He did it for the safety. He did it to set them apart from all the nations around them. But he never said it had to do with their soul. And Jesus is clarifying that. This isn't about sin. This isn't about the state of your soul. Nothing that you eat is going to affect your eternal state. Paul kind of touches on the same thing later on, of eating meat sacrificed to idols. It's more about the person who's observing it. If it causes them to stumble, it's a big deal. But food is food. It's not magical. It has no demons attached to it. It's not going to do something to you on an eternal or spiritual state. And so Jesus, in some ways, is making all things clean as he makes this statement. And letting them know. Well, and again, I think there's that side of it's like, well, you can eat whatever you want. It might make you sick. It might be unhealthy for you. It doesn't, doesn't work to pray over a box of Twinkies and go, Lord, make this healthy, right? I've tried it. It has never worked. <laughs> but it's not going to affect your soul. Now, I think there's the other extreme. 
And I've only heard this occasionally, but I think it's, it's important that we understand. Jesus says it's not what goes into the body, but what comes out of our mouth. Well, we need to keep that in context, because the extreme that I've heard is people saying, well, then it doesn't really matter what I watch or what I listen to or what I see, because it's not what goes into the body. That is not what Jesus is saying. He is talking specifically about food and the Jewish food laws. And if you want to be clear about that, he's already talked about the importance that if a man looks upon a woman lustfully, he's committed adultery in his heart. So it does matter what we see. It does matter what we put before our eyes. And, and I believe it matters what we hear, right? I think it's going to tie into a warning that Jesus is going to speak about um, a little bit further or that we'll get to. So the disciples come to Jesus after he's spoken in this crowd. And say, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And I just pictured Jesus going, really? <laughs> was it the part where I called them hypocrites? You think that was it? Was it the part where I told them they don't know anything they're talking about? And they're wrong about everything? Was it that part that you think offended them? You know, of course Jesus knew, right? And it's, it's funny whenever the disciples come to Jesus and go, did you know? <laughs> You're talking to the God of the universe. Did you know? But it's funny because I pray like that sometimes, right? God, did you know what happened? Did you see, you know? You know how they talk to me? And he's like, you forget who you're talking to? You know, I know everything. I know it all. But we still do that, right? We go to God and ask him if he knows. And so, uh, yeah, did you know that they were offended? And, and Jesus points back to the parable that he, he told not that long ago of the wheat and the tares. Remember the parable that, that a farmer went out, he plants the wheat, and by night an enemy comes and he plants these tares, which some breeds of tares were poisonous. And, and Jesus, uh, in the parable, says that the, the farmer just says, well, let them grow together. And so now he points back to that, saying that every plant my father has not planted. So again, he's pretty strong accusation, because he's saying they weren't planted by my father, so they were planted by the enemy. Now, can they repent? Of course they can. But will they? Most of them won't. Vast majority of them won't. And I think that is the deadliest part of legalism, is that they don't think they're wrong. They don't think there's anything to repent of. They think they're the, the warriors for righteousness that are setting all of us sinners straight. And they don't see themselves in need of a Savior so therefore, they never seek out the Savior. They were not planted by the Father. Doesn't mean they're lost forever. Doesn't mean they can't be saved. But they don't know they need to be saved. And so, they will be lost. Now again, I, I, I love how Jesus handles this. Because it would be easy, and I think a lot of us in that place, if we were there with the disciples, would kind of come up with a plan to deal with the Pharisees and the scribes and religious leaders. Okay, maybe that's how do we reach these guys? How do we speak their language? How do we meet them where they're at? How do we somehow go to this place where they're going to get the truth? Or maybe it's how do we defend against them, right? How do we show them that they're wrong? But whatever it is, we put a huge focus on dealing with these guys. But Jesus says... Just leave them alone. And, and I find that fascinating. 
The truth has been spoken to them. The example of Jesus has been set before them. And now it's up to them. Just leave them alone. Because they are happy in their spiritual blindness. And they have no plans to change that. They are content being blind. And they seek out blind people to lead. And again, part of us, at least when I, when I first considered that, I'm like, that's, well, that's such a sad state, right? Not only because these leaders are, are lost and without direction, but they're now leading others the same way. But here's the thing, is that I believe the spiritually blind seek spiritually blind leaders. Again, doesn't mean they can't be saved. Doesn't mean that they can't repent. Sure they can at any point. But think about even the generation that we live in. Mankind's heart has never changed, so we're still the same as we were back then. And only now we've got so much more access to blind leaders. Somebody doesn't like church. They don't like Jesus. They don't want to hear that they're wrong or that they need to repent. What do you do? You jump on YouTube, you find as many blind leaders as you want, and they will take you as far as you will let them. The Bible talks about in the end days that we will heap up teachers to ourselves. That's this day we're in now. And I'll tell you what, I've had conversations with people I desperately care about, and it's, it's like riding a roller coaster. It seems like you're getting somewhere, but you will always end up right where you started every time. They do not want the truth. They do not want to see. And there's a point where you just leave them alone. That's Jesus' instruction with these guys. They do not want to hear it. In verse 15, Peter comes to Jesus and says, explain this parable to you. And so Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Now, it sounds like Jesus is being a little bit harsh with uh, Peter, but it, it's, again, kind of lost in the translation a little bit. What he's saying is, you know, Peter comes and says, hey, explain that parable. And Jesus is saying, I didn't tell a parable. This, don't you understand what I'm telling you? It's just truth. It's just the way it is. This isn't a parable. It's not an example. It doesn't mean anything else. What you eat goes into your stomach and it's gone. It doesn't affect your soul. But what comes out of your mouth defiles you because it comes from your heart. Now, again, that's a huge truth for us to wrap our minds around. And I think we understand it to a certain degree. But Jesus points to these things in verse 19. What kind of things are already in our heart? Evil or evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies, all these things are residing in here. And the proof of it is the words that I speak. And I don't think it's the words that I speak around others so much because we're pretty good about that, right? We're pretty good about, you know, putting a little Mary Sunshine face on and, oh, praise the Lord, everything's fine. It's when no one's around and something bad happens. Those are the words that I'm concerned with, right? that I don't think anyone can hear me and maybe nobody can. But it's coming out of the abundance of what's in here. And I've been convincing myself or fooling myself it's not there. And I think as Jesus is speaking these things, there's two sides to it. The one is that 
It defiles me. My own words. And there's something powerful about our own words. There's a lot of studies that have been done in the last few years about this, but I've found it to be true in my own life. That there's something about when I speak something, it somehow solidifies it in my life. Again, not even necessarily for anybody else. And that can be in a good way or a bad way. Like if you're really worried about something and you share those worries with a friend, that as the words are coming out of your own mouth, you kind of go, that sounds really dumb, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it, it? There's a clarifying to it. That you go, well, that, that, why am I even worried? Why have I been dealing with that so much on the inside? Just by speaking it, it seems so much clearer, right? I think it can be in a good way where God has put something on our hearts and, and after praying about it and thinking about it, we come to the point where we come to someone and, and we go, look, this is what I'm thinking. This is what's on my heart. And again, there's this like reassurance and, and affirmation just by hearing our own voice speak those words. But again, in a negative way, it's what I've been taking in has been feeding what's already on the inside. And when I speak it out, it confirms it. And it defiles me and it defiles those who hear it. And I believe part of that defiling the others who hear it is it brings in those that think the same defiling way. Just like the blind seek the blind, I believe the defiled seek out the defiled. And, and if I want a bad idea to be reinforced, i got to find other people with that same bad idea to say, yeah, that sounds great. And so their voice reinforces it, my voice reinforces it, but all we're doing is just defiling, right? Our our words have great power. Now, what Jesus also is not saying is that because those things are in our heart, we're just supposed to pretend like they're not. And just always, always speak positively. Never speak negatively. And just, just deny that it even exists. Also, horrible idea. That's what the Pharisees are doing. That, that's what's created them is that they've only spoken what they think is righteousness, denying that they're unrighteous on the inside. The key to all of this is that we are first honest with the Lord about what's in here. If there's any question of it, all we got to do is listen to our own thoughts to know that there's plenty of defiled things here. The words that are unspoken. And then... Honestly and humbly hand those things over to him. Lord, you know my heart. I can't, I can't hide from you. There isn't anything you don't know. You know me. And I need your help. I need to repent. I need to be brought low. I want to be usable by you, and these things are holding me back. Right? In that way, there is great power in our words when we go, Lord, forgive me. May we be those that are honest, humble, not defiling those around us, not defiling ourselves by our words, but turning those things over to the Lord that then our words might be, bring life and joy and healing. Because I'm hoping we've all seen that as well, that when we've had the opportunity to speak kindness and compassion into somebody else's life, and there have been times that that comes out so much different than what we think, Right? I, I, I've spoken words that are tough love on someone. And on the inside, I'm like, oh, this is so wrong. I'm going to do so much damage here. But because the Lord was leading it, I'm like, I'm speaking it. And, and have him go, I needed to hear that so much. 
right? And other times where people are just expecting condemnation and damnation and judgment, and we come alongside and go, I've been right there. I know right where you're at. I'm going to walk this road with you, right? Again, that's speaking the forgiveness that we've been given. We're speaking it out to the people that are around us. Huge power in that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.